Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, We're going to talk about a prophet guy uh, who should have taken a better look in the mirror at himself. He did a really good job with other people's problems, like really good job with other people's problems, less good job with his own problems. Um, As we get started this morning, you know how people are using artificial intelligence to do really important work now? Well, this week I saw uh, they're using AI. They asked a whole bunch of Europeans what they thought different states in America were like based on stereotypes. And they used AI for the important uh, work of generating some characters based on Europeans' perceptions. Um, Let's start with a big one. How about California? I mean, personally, I think that's what it looks like, right? Maybe I'm just very European. Um, Do we have any friends here from New Jersey? Oh, yeah, okay. Let's uh, let's see New Jersey. I don't see what this guy's so unhappy about. He's eating pasta by the fistful. Um, New York, close neighbor to us. I mean, a couple, maybe. Um, I'm from Connecticut. Do we have anyone from Connecticut? Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, let's see. Look, mom and dad. But since this is about self-reflection and introspection, who's ready for Massachusetts, guys? All right. I mean, I do not know what they are talking about at all. (laughs) Looks in the mirror can be a little tough. Um, We're in the book of Kings, and today we have an unnamed, anonymous man of God. It's kind of a king versus a prophet as we go through. An unnamed man of God versus King Jeroboam. Who's going to win? It's complicated. Uh, Let's pray as we turn to our scripture today. Jesus, we turn to your scripture with reverence, with, with openness, Lord God. What you have to show us, would you just make it clear? We open our hearts and our minds to your word today. Would you speak your truth to us? Lovingly and kindly like only you do. Um, And as we dig into a big, grand, complicated story, Jesus, would you make truth for us today simple and clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, we are in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12 into 13. And to uh, give us a little background as we go into this story. Uh, the Israelites, they're delivered from slavery uh, in Egypt, out of Pharaoh, across the Red Sea, all of that. As they wander through the wilderness, they have a portable shrine. So set it up, worship, pack it up, move. Now they're in the promised land, and God says, this is my spot with you. One place I dwell with you. You are a light and a blessing. You're no longer going to worship wherever is most convenient uh, for you at the time. And so they build a temple in Jerusalem, this one place for God to dwell with his one people. 
Then there's a bit of a civil war situation, and it's caught in half north versus south, and the other king gets Jerusalem. It's kind of like if the parents divorce and one parent gets the pool, where are the kids going to want to be on a day like yesterday? So Jeroboam in the northern kingdom is feeling very insecure. So on the advice of his counselors, King Jeroboam made two gold calves. He said to the people, It is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, here are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He would have thought the gold calves would, you know, ring some bells, something like that. So moving on to uh, 1 Kings 13, um, the big day comes. He's going to do this uh, alternative festival and say, look, guys, we're just as good over here. As Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel at the Lord's command. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On this altar, he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense, and human bones will be burned on you. His altar isn't looking so good right now. At that same day, the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, the Lord has promised to give this sign. The altar will split apart, and its ashes will be poured out onto the ground. Jeroboam's trying so hard to make his kingdom just as good as the other kingdom. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed at him and shouted, Get that man! But instantly the king's hand became paralyzed in that position. He couldn't pull it back. At the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar and the ashes poured out just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. The king cried out to the man of God, Please ask God to restore my hand. The man of God did. He was restored. He could move it again. The king said to the man of God, ah, Come to the palace with me. Have something to eat. I will give you a gift. Not for a million dollars. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there. And do not return to Judah by the same way you came. So he left to Bethel and went home another way. Verse 11. Now there was in Bethel an old prophet. His sons went out, saw everything that happened. You know, the king's hand was frozen. And then the, then the guy unfroze it. And the king was like, dinner? And he was like, no way. And then he just left. You should have seen it, Dad. Dad says, really? That's it. Saddle up the donkey. I'm getting out of this house. Then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked him, are you the man of God from Judah? Yes, I am. Then come, eat with me, get some food. Oh, no, sorry, I cannot. I'm not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For the Lord God gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you're there. Do not return to Judah by the same way you came. The old prophet said, Oh, I too am also a prophet, samesies. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together, 
and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. While they were sitting at the table, a command from the Lord came to the prophet. He cried out, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of God and disobeyed the command the Lord God gave you. You came back to this place, ate and drank, when I told you not to eat your drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. The old prophet's first word from the Lord was false. This one is more true than anyone would have liked. And I think he was as surprised as anyone to just blurt out, because you're here, you're going to die. After the man of God had finished eating and drinking, and somehow they kept eating and drinking, I feel like that would have killed the mood. After they had finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him. Man of God started off again. As he was traveling along, a lion came out and killed him. His body lay there on the road, donkey and lion standing beside it. People who passed by saw the body lying there. They went back, reported it, where the old prophet lived in Bethel. When the prophet heard the report, he said, I know who that is. The Lord has fulfilled his word by causing the lion to attack and kill him. He went, saddled the donkey, went after him, found the body lying in the road. The donkey and lion were still just standing there beside the lion, hadn't eaten the body or attacked the donkey. So the prophet took his body back to the town to mourn over him and bury him. He said, oh, my brother. I'm sure he does feel bad now, doesn't he? A little late for that, don't you think? He even said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones next to his bones. For the message the Lord told him to proclaim against the altar in Bethel and against the pagan shrines in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. But even after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways. So an unnamed man of God travels uh, to Bethel to try and stop this false uh, worship. Uh, God tells him, confront Jeroboam, come straight home. He does one part, not the other, dies. Even after all this, Jeroboam doesn't change. Uh, the sin of Jeroboam is referenced many times throughout the book of Kings. Um, even poor Zimri, who was king for only one week, is condemned for following the sin of Jeroboam. What was it? It was uh, this competing, false, alternative uh, pagan worship for, especially kings, uh, convenience, expediency, and political gain. It was bad. The man of God does a really good job of calling out Jeroboam's sin. Great job with somebody else's sin. Bad job with his own. We too typically do a good job with other people's sin and a less good job with our own. Uh, the two halves of this story go together, work together, um, but we're going to focus on the latter half today. Now, full disclosure, I don't always, I don't really like this story. Um, I don't really like this story because I feel like I might have done the exact same thing. I do not make my best decisions when I am hungry or tired 
or lonely or after a big emotional event. Uh, I, and I have an invested interest in this man of God being allowed just a couple mistakes because I too need to be allowed a couple mistakes. Now, I need to, I need to have a little leeway on some things. And I am. God is generous and kind and gracious with me, with you. God is not going around killing people. The only death that he was really invested in was his own on the cross. So what's going on with this story? Well, you know, it's the Old Testament. uh, And the Old Testament is a specific, specialized book in a specific time and place uh, for a purpose. Um, It's unique. It's a unique stepping stone. Um, The Old Testament teaches us spiritual lessons. Uh, The spiritual lesson is disobedience kills spiritually. And we see it in really graphic, uh, earthly terms. We're a little shocked and horrified. The book of Kings is an intense book. A lot of the Old Testament is an intense book. Our life back then was intense. What I think we have here, what I really think that the story is getting at, uh, this is a condensed, exaggerated, intensified example of how a Christian leader fails. How someone falls. Um, I, I think it, what we have here is kind of like your mega church pastor. This, I mean, this man of God, he's anonymous, but he did, he did a great, a huge, big thing going in front of the king. Uh, he could have died for that. Kings weren't exactly reading people their Miranda rights back in the day. He was like a mega church pastor. You know, good job. And then we have, instead of a 10-year pattern of compromise, or we've got condensed into two days, what sometimes takes 20 years, falling uh, uh, away. Uh, I think we have here a Hebrew fallen pastor, your your Tobias, Jimmy Swagger, Obadiah, Mark Driscoll, whatever. We get to see in his life how we compromise and, and fall. So number one, you know, there is a spiritual struggle. There's a spiritual battle. And we see it very clearly in the first half. And in the first half, we're like, yeah, go, get him, good versus evil. And then in the second half, it gets a little bit more personal. He was more invested in the spiritual struggle of other people than himself. He hated Jeroboamson, but he was pretty okay with his own sin. How about us this morning? as we come to church, as we come to God? You know, what about us? Are we more bothered by other people's sins? Like, well, my spouse has got some real issues, and once we work out those issues, then I can get on to my own. Or society, I just read this article in Culture, and we read this stuff and we get very energized and a lot of time and emotion and energy. Like, well, you should meet my coworker. It's very sneaky and underhanded. Like, what really bothers us? What are we really paying time and attention and energy into? How careful are we about our own soul, our own mistakes, our own not-so-pretty sides? I need to be 
DEFCON level one about me, myself. So let's look at a couple of the steps that uh, this guy took in pretty quick succession. Hopefully it takes us, you know, a lot longer. Hopefully we never take these steps. Um, but the steps that he took um, to, to fall into this. First, you know, rewording, some revising, revision. Uh, this guy repeated word for word, multiple times, exactly what God told him to do. He knew really clearly, word for word, what God told him to do. Micah 6, 8 says, The Lord has told you what to do. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. I think, friends, we, we know. We, we have, if you are following Jesus, you got scripture, the Holy Spirit, even just in general, Things prick at our conscience. We know, 90% of the time, we, we know what God has told us what to do. If not, we're informed uh, uh, later. We know. He knew. And this is a core of the temptation. Um, if we go back to the prototypical story, Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve, the uh, this figure of the tempter comes to Eve and says, yeah, but did God really say that this one apple let's think about it. let's revisit that oh you know there's another reason for it did god really say it like that for this man of god oh did god really say not anyone me i'm exception i'm different there's rewording and revising and i think Sometimes as we look at a story that's, you know, a little harsh, maybe a little scary, we can get a little concerned that we accidentally fall into something like this. C.S. Lewis says, no one accidentally goes to hell. We're talking about judgment, right? we're talking about God's punishments. This doesn't happen accidentally. This guy chose to accept an alternative information choosing to take that narrative instead. 1 Corinthians says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to people. Jealousy, anger, money, sex, lies. It's been around for a really, really long time. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. If we look at a map... Bethel was really close to the border. It was not a, a super far walk. Now, it is a longer walk than I would prefer to take without food. Um, but this guy, he also isn't used to eating quite as much probably as I'm used to eating with my American diet day to day, much more used to walking. He could have made it. He could have done it. It was close to the border. He knew what to do, and he could have done it. Second thing we see is this excuse of, well, it's fine for them. This old prophet, number one, he is older, respected, revered. Uh, he's a prophet, not an ordinary business guy. He is a prophet, so generous and kind, a good Jew, hospitable, inviting Going back to the original temptation, Adam and Eve, Eve eats first. Adam says, 
God, don't blame me. Like, it wasn't my idea. This woman you met, I mean, I didn't even make the woman. You should look at your original designs on that one, God. Don't look at me. She ate first, and then what was I supposed to do? She did it first. They started it doesn't work real great for God, um, didn't work real great for Adam, doesn't change anything here either. And then, of course, sometimes we think, I'm already here. I'm already here. I'm all, This is what everyone thinks I do. This is what I do. Um, we feel trapped and stuck. Do we notice here that he finishes his meal? He sits down and finishes his meal. Let me tell you, friends, if you are ever in a situation like this, you know what you should do? A nice dinner table, enjoying a meal. Someone says, remember, this wasn't what you were supposed to do? I suggest you, like, spit out that last bite. You're like, what? No. Cheeks are full. Be like, never mind. Throw down your napkin. Run the other way. Grab your sandals on the way out the door. There are so many times when this guy could have turned around. He's riding on the donkey back home. Donkeys don't go real fast. You know what? Thanks for the invitation. I'm going to decline. You get in the door, take off your sandals. You know what? Nice to see your place, but I'm going to head out. They're preparing the food. You know, this is very nice. Invite over your neighbors instead. He could have said no so many times. Just spit out the food and run away. Um, with, uh, when I'm with the youth group, uh, we, we talk about some of this stuff. and um, m- Mostly around like mental health, what, what are we believing in our minds, um, sometimes money, sometimes, you know, relationships and sex, um, because there's nothing that teenagers love more than a 40-year-old woman talking to them about sex. Um, I have so- found some videos that do it for me instead. Uh, one of these videos, a guy was talking, a uh, younger guy, when he was a teenager, 16 or so, he was in a relationship with a girl. And, you know, they were not the stable, mature, committed, mature relationship that they should be doing uh, uh, sexual things. And uh, one day, they found themselves with her parents out of town. So went over to her house. He'd been there a lot. They've got a nice old dog. Go upstairs start doing some things they probably shouldn't have been doing. And then her dog starts barking like crazy. Okay, your clothes back in place, run downstairs. Didn't see anything. Where are her parents? No people. What's going on? He looks at the dog, and he's like, that dog is the Holy Spirit barking. (laughs) Giving me a way out interrupting it. He said, I knew that that dog barking was the Holy Spirit. And friends, I think it's true. There is always a way out. You can always leave the table, spit out that last bite. There's a dog barking. The truth about temptation 
is that temptation, temptation isn't sinning. Temptation isn't a sin. I can think of about a hundred ways to sin in my mind. About half of them sound mildly attractive in some way, shape, or form. Being tempted isn't a sin. Acting on it, it is wrong, right? I think we need to be a lot more open and honest about our temptations, about, yeah, that does sound kind of nice, yeah, yeah, and a lot more serious about not acting on it. Fourthly, uh, he was alone. You know, going back to the original uh, temptation story, can I have my cup of water? I forgot that. Um, the original temptation story, no. Um, Adam and Eve, uh, Eve was uh, in, in the garden and Satan got her alone. How different would that story have been if they were together? Not that either one of them was better or worse than the other, but if they were together, it might have been different. And then lastly, of course, there's the reason, all of us, how we compromise, um, that we want to. Our stomachs are stronger than our spirits. Talking to church folk, especially for good religious folk, um, the desire to... Um, like compromise or like compensate or say, I deserve it. You know, I've given away so much money to the church, so I deserve a little back here. Um, you know, I've given so much time. I deserve this pleasure to make up for it. The compensation to deserving pull um, can be very hard for religious folks. At the end of the day, people do not usually hold a gun to our heads and say, lie about this mistake to cover your tracks or take a little off for yourself. And if that happens, you know, I think there's some special considerations on that. We want to. We want to. The book of James says, remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God's tempted. I mean, God never tempts anyone to do wrong. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He's good. He's reliable. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, have become his prized possession. He loves us so much. Friends, how do we do better? Because I'm not sure I can confront a king in that dramatic fashion. I am not sure I can fast for multiple days. But I am sure that I'm going to do better. How do we do better? Well, we don't do it alone. There is a cost for disobedience, spiritual death. Jesus came. He took that on himself. God shows us in this story the, the consequences and price for, for disobedience in an uh, emphasized way. And then God comes and says, actually, guys, I got this. It's on me. Jesus is the obedient man of God who rides his donkey, not to an extra meal, but to the cross. 
we see that very special people of God do great things but fail. Jesus is the way through and beyond. He covers uh, our, our punishment and he makes a way through. He gives us power through temptation and towards the goal, towards the finish line. Jesus himself was tempted. He got real hungry. Uh, someone offered him a nice compromise with food. Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but live on every word that comes from God. This is our nourishment, our sustenance that gets us through. We have to love the word of God more than the meals of man. We have to love the future and the plan and, and the words of God more than temporary nice things. And we have to want the destination more than the rest stop. To deal with temptation, we must deal with our underlying desires, what we want, and reorient that to a new love. This, this man of God, he didn't want to get home and say, I did it exactly how you told me to, God, God, you and me. Like, he didn't love the commands of God. He also didn't, he wasn't eager to get home. He didn't love the destination. He wasn't in a hurry to make it to his destination. What would have happened if he had said, thanks, but no thanks? I mean, he'd be alive. Uh, he would have a long, uh, peaceful life. We might know his name. I mean, this is early in the book of Kings. It could have been like him and Elijah in the book of Kings. He could have, been, he could have gone on to more stories. What would have happened if he had loved the word of God and been eager to get right back home like God commanded him? We also have future hope, way better promises. Jesus looked to the future when he was enduring tests and temptations. God has a much better future for us than sin does. We have much, much better things for us. You know, um, a couple of years ago when I was, a while ago now when I was teaching, um, they asked me to participate uh, in this event. It was an extra weekend event that um, I just did not feel good about participating in. And uh, I was super conflicted about it because it's my job and um, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to say it, but I just, I did not feel, feel good about this uh, high school event that they were throwing. So I don't want to be rude. I don't want to cause a scene. I don't want to be the squeaky wheel. I, uh, but I just did not feel good about it. And I like died a thousand deaths before I wrote this email. But finally I wrote an email. I said, you know, it's, I'm sorry guys, this just isn't how I roll. Let me work three weekends. I'll do anything else. Blah, blah, blah. I was very nice, very conciliatory. I got the email back from my principal. She said, oh, you know, another coworker had the same issue. Don't worry about it. And that was it. I said, and sometimes it's much harder much, much harder. But that was it. I said, ha, 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 that's it. For some of us, it may be backtracking on some little white lies. It may be saying, you know what, when I said that 
I was away. It may be coming out with the truth. Maybe something financial. You know, I know I put the money in this account. I'm going to put it back in the other account. There's always a way out, and it is always, always worth it. Two things for us as we as we end. What do we really want? Are we eager for home? Are we eager for our destination? We have far greater things ahead of us than at the side of the path. And it's never too late to change. It is never too late to spit out the food, to change, to walk away. Um, Today, if there's anything that's nagging on you, don't finish the meal. Don't sit there. Make a change. Let's stand. Worship team, uh, if you guys want to come on up. I think Jesus wants to honor us and say, we are chosen and called men and women of God. I think that's one of the reasons why this dude was anonymous. Because we are chosen and called men and women of God in the exact same situation. Called for high purposes and high callings. Don't turn aside. Don't stop at the rest stop. Do exactly, totally, completely what you know, what you know, and you can do it. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.